This episode of Behind the Bench with Neil Francis is dedicated to the memory of longtime Devil supporter Jim Mannings, who sadly passed away this week. Jim was well known and loved by so many around the rink and will be greatly missed by us all. Jim provided the club with lots of help over the years, including for the many players who turned to Jim's help after a lost fight to help whip them back into shape. On a podcast that celebrates Devil's history, we remember a great man who was present for all the great moments, and our thoughts go out to his family at this difficult time. Nostar, Jim. Hello there, and welcome back once again to Behind the Bench with Neil Francis, the podcast that takes a deep dive into Devil's history, and uh, in the case of today, Devil's players' history, and uh, we get all the good gossip and uh, all the true stories about what happened. Gareth Hewish here, joined as always by Mr. John Donovan. Uh, hello there, guys. Good to see you. Good to see you as well, sir. Lovely haircut. Thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the man of the marquee, Mr. Neil Francis. Hey, boys. How are you doing? Very, very good, sir. Good to see you again. And delighted to be joined by our very special guest. Uh, you would have all seen uh, recently re-signed to come back to Cardiff for this upcoming season. Mr. Joey Adad. Joey, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks very for having me. <laughs> no Joe, we like all. we like firsts on the show, and I believe Joey is the first current player we've ever had on. Is that right? He is, he is indeed. Uh, yeah. yeah, we've had a few guests. We've had a uh, um, well, we had Luke Roden. We did the special with him. We had Wally on. We had Max Beerbrier. But uh, yeah, first ever current player. Oh, cool. Joe, before we get into the hockey, Joey, what? As a, as, a, as a Canadian looking at our news this week, I wanted to get your take on that. Do you just think that's crazy and laugh at us? you got to fill me in. I haven't been <laughs> up to date. I don't know what's going on. Really? Don't get JD going on the politics here. <laughs> I, I know it's an announcement Thursday, right? Is that right? Oh, yeah. You, you've, you've missed the whole thing about a guy yesterday who broke lockdown because he needed to test his eyes out by driving. Don't worry about it. Oh. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to no, give us the I considered view on it, Joey. I heard a little flash of that on uh, my Google News this morning. But it, okay. was, it was first thing this morning, so I didn't take it all in. So. <laughs> Joey. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, back to the proper stuff. Oh, we're going to skip way back right to the early 2000s. 
Um, Joe, we're not going to go too in-depth on, on the first team that appears on your uh, Elite Prospects team, other than to say the Jeans Experts as a team name. You've got to fill us in on how that came about. Yeah, you know what? It was funny. I saw somebody posted my stats there on uh, Twitter. I think it might have been uh, Ollie. Um, and it said Jeans Experts, but that's just – it's the major midget level, which I know you don't have here – and I think they're actually changing that name because it's, you know, offensive um, oh. with the midget, right? But basically, <laughs> it was just, it was always Adam, Kiwi, <laughs> Dan I didn't know they were changing the name. And then midget. So midget. Small problem. It's, I think it's 15 <laughs> to 17 years old. I think that's the league. Um, and Gene's expert was like... Uh, it was a store, a retail store, so they sold clothes. Oh, okay. But it was, I don't, I don't know if it was a chain or not. So I well, guess what when kind you of clothes look did they at it, not knowing <laughs> anything, it's not like we were called Hugo Boss or something. It was just like a local, <laughs> maybe a maritime store that sponsored the team, and the store was called Jeans Experts. But when my brother played, he's five years older than me. He was on the Jeans Experts. By the time I got there, a new sponsor had taken it over. And it should, the stats should read Cape Breton build Cape Breton unionized tradesmen, I think is what it was. <laughs> and it was crazy. Oh, I know. It was crazy. But, Another uh, catchy I one. Think, I think they trimmed it down. So it was just always tradesmen, like devils, tradesmen. So <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. But um, yeah. I think they're still, you know what? They might be called something else now. I think they have. Uh, they might be called the Cape Breton Oilers and the sponsors, you know, just kind of, they don't want their name on the team. They kind of just support it behind the scenes and maybe some Jersey uh, sponsorship or something like that. But it's not as wild as the jeans. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if we were back in Cape Breton, we might well be the Cardiff Peacocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just really wanted the logo to be like a Bruce Springsteen album cover. Yeah. And am I right in saying from the trustee elite prospects, that's the first year that you played with Cully? Uh, yeah, it was actually. Um, me and Cully played against each other growing up. So he was a county boy. Um, I was a Sydney boy. Um, we only live probably about, 10 minute drive from each other but you know back in Cape Breton a little more teams because you know it's a more popular sport and everybody's playing um although nowadays last 10 years I think we've lost like half the teams just because uh numbers are down and stuff like that but I always grew up playing for the Sydney Steelers which say that's like the Cardiff Devils junior league and then Cully grew up playing for the Cape Breton County, which would be like the valleys, you know, <laughs> oh, surrounding area. And he had a, his team, like some guys on his team had to drive, you know, like hours for practice and games because the county area was so big. But when it got to the midget level, um, that's when the whole island just broke down into two teams. And then me and Kali were in the same jurisdiction for uh, the uh, tradesman team. What position did he play then? Um, uh, he was a full-blown center, I believe. Um, 
he was only small, but he was really, really good, really fast, like handled the puck really well, skated so good. You know, like the color we all know, except, you know, he had that when he was young too. Just, yeah. you know, not that he's huge now or anything, but um, when he was uh, younger, as was I, I was a little taller maybe. Maybe my shoulders were a little wider, but we were both pretty, pretty skinny kids. Uh, but he only – he played one year major midget and then he was drafted that year, um, his underage year and played for the screaming Eagles, um, the next year. So he made the, made that team as a 16 year old and I played another year of major midget. Um, then I went to PEI for two years and then we, uh, joined up again when I was traded back to Cape Breton. So yeah, we've known each other for a long time. <laughs> yeah and then you mentioned um when you played in uh, prince edward island uh deuce was one of your teammates yeah when i was a rookie so yeah. oh my god i should maybe before this podcast is over maybe i'll get that picture out there's a picture of my rookie year and it's guillaume's 20 year old year i believe and it's kind of that start of the season you know everybody comes in with their summer haircuts and all this stuff and one of those first team builders and we got a team picture um and me and Guillaume are sitting right next to each other I didn't know him before or anything like met him that year um and I I want to say I don't even think he played the entire year PEI. I think he got traded um but then you know throughout throughout uh the professional ranks kind of you know get closer with some people and then end up playing with them over here and, and we're really good buddies. Yeah. 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 And then you said you got traded to Cape Breton, which is when you reunited with, with Cully. Yeah. That was an amazing trade for me. Yeah. Um, I was in PEI for two years. We had, it was a different style. It was like a lot of French players team was really clicky. Um, we had a French coach. He was really angry all the time. He, he was kind of a rookie coach, and uh, he had been with one of the craziest all-time coaches in the Quebec League. Um, and you just heard horror stories about this guy. And then Yannick Jean was his protege as an assistant coach, you know, learned from, uh, from this guy up in Chicoutimi. I'm trying to think of his name now. Um, but anyways, Yannick Jean got the coaching job in Prince Edward Island just as I was coming. And he really liked me at first. And I think he liked my, you know, my work ethic as a young kid, maybe my size and what he saw as potential. Um, but he was pretty hard on me, like, for two years straight. You know, he's the kind of guy, if you, if you messed up, he doesn't really fill you with confidence and try to get you back up. He's more like, I'm going to beat you down and hopefully you can – climb back up yourself um I mean I did get better there I think my uh my skating uh, if you guys could see my skating back you know in my major midget days until now you would see a huge improvement and I think that all came from basically getting punished in Prince Edward Island and skating <laughs> the board every day literally every day was he shouting you in English or, or, or in French? Was it like uh, Ryan Whitney in Russia? Like he talks about spitting chip? Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Joey Haddad? I think it was a little bit of both. I think, yeah, <laughs> you know, if I could hear him, it was a little bit of both. Most times I was either too tired or 
just too shell shocked to really comprehend <laughs> what he was saying. But, um, you know, we made the playoffs, I think both years, or maybe only one year I was there first round exit. We had some superstars, but like two or three of them. And then the rest of the team were just young and we were average. Um, I had amazing billets in Prince Edward Island though, still friends with all of them today. So even though I had a tough coach and, you know, the team wasn't, you know, what I'm used to now say, it was a lot more individual and, and clicks and stuff like that. But uh, I had a really good time with my, my billet family and um, I did get better as a hockey player. And then I finally was traded to my hometown and, and that's where things kind of took off for me. So, Joe, Joe you, you mentioned about, you know, the French coach and stuff. I was speaking to Stephen Dixon. It was, I think it was um, the week before the, the lockdown. And uh, he was telling a couple of stories about when he played his junior, because he was uh, you know, in the Quebec Major Junior League as well. And he was saying about the, the divide between the French and English-speaking players. There's a, there's a real big divide and big clicks. Is that what you were experiencing on that team? Yeah, so I mean, you're gonna get that at that age. You know, you're you're talking about 16 to 20 year old kids, and some of them are coming from little towns in Quebec, and they literally don't even know English. So it's only natural that they're gonna hang out with the other kids who are from Quebec and from their small towns, and that's fine. You know, you want everybody to be happy and you know feeling good, and we're all just trying to get better at hockey. The difference between PEI and Cape Breton was it was fun. Everybody in Cape Breton, everybody respected each other. You know, when you came, you're in the dressing room and practicing and playing everybody or even say on the road, long road trips we had, everybody was still friendly and together and respected the team atmosphere. And then they had their maybe, you know, their friends that they hung out with most of the time. Whereas PEI was more of like a hostile environment. You had those clicks. You had, you know, all the old guys were really good. We're always together. They were French. And then, you know, a lot of the young guys who were English and PEI were together. But come training, come, you know, road trips, come game time, it's not like we came together like I experienced in, in Cape Breton. It was more like you were still divided. It's like, oh, we're just playing on the same team. And it was kind of, you know, it was shitty for a young kid. Um, but it was a, a real relief when I went to Cape Breton and kind of got out of that atmosphere. And, you know, it was back with Cully. And we had, I think we had like 14 rookies my first year. And a lot of them were French. But because the older guys were English, myself, Cully, uh, I could throw another few names around there, but you guys wouldn't know them. But we had a we had a tight leadership circle of older English guys, and we made the team what we thought it should be, which was you know everybody together, everybody joking, laughing, rookies, vets. It doesn't matter in most aspects, except when it comes to like picking pucks up and like cleaning the room and stuff like that. Um, so it was a really good time, yeah. But there definitely is that uh, divide. And I think the major thing is the French-English. That's what causes it. And, I mean, that's it. Yeah. And, and you growing up as a youngster, one of my favorite people to watch a hockey game with is your dad, Barkley. Um, <laughs> how much of an influence did he have on you growing up? Pro probably more so when you 
came back to Cape Breton and I guess he was a bit closer. Yeah, I mean, um, when I was young, so first starting out, uh, the first uh, hockey I ever really did was either, it might have been in my backyard on a frozen ice surface that he made, um, or I didn't play at the youngest level. So I didn't start playing competitively till maybe I was like nine or maybe 10. I don't even know what, uh, it was Adam anyways, the Adam level. Um, because I was just kind of training, you know, I would go to like uh, hockey schools every week and he'd coach me there, you know, myself, but also a few, you know, a couple hundred kids or something like that. Um, and uh, from then he coached me in Adam my first year. Um, and then I don't, he didn't coach me again after Adam, uh, but he was like at every single game and practice, he always took me to the rink and, we were always together, even though he wasn't on the bench, say, coaching 20 other kids with me, which I don't know, like, it didn't bother me that he was the coach, because I knew, like, he was serious, and I knew I was serious, so I wasn't, like, looking for my dad to, like, give me favors or anything, but I think, you know, he might have felt a little bit of pressure that way, you know, other teammates, parents thinking, you know, it's Adam Hockey, and you know, you're favoring your son over my son and stuff like this. So if you know my dad, what you do, he, he doesn't have a, a lot of patience for that stuff. So he <laughs> thought it'd be better, you know, let somebody else coach and then I can just be there. I can just worry about you, watch you, take you there, take you home, all this stuff. So I'd say my entire youth hockey right up until literally I went away to Prince Edward Island. My dad was with me, like with the practices and the games and just, you know, he was like a little scout or like an agent. He's not critical in a bad way, but he's there to like talk about the game, just like you guys experience when he's in Cardiff and he's yeah. up in the dance. He's having a few, he loves the game and he's yeah. a great hockey player. Um, so he, he likes to talk about it. He gives his two cents. He hears what you have to say. And it was just a really healthy relationship. I think the only time he really got mad at me, well, there's probably a few times, but one of them was in uh, youth hockey and uh, we were playing Glace Bay. And, you know, when you're in junior high and it's competing high schools and stuff like that, like, you know, the other kids. And anyways, a big line brawl ended up breaking out. And I think I, I think I like speared a guy in the back. Like this was like a full blown line brawl. Like everybody was fighting. And it was by the bench. His kids came off the bench. I think I speared a guy in the back. And then he got up and came to hit me. And I kind of, like, jumped out of the way. And then, like, didn't, like, fight, but didn't, like, completely run. But he was so mad. After the game, it was probably about a 30-minute drive home. And he just – my older brother was there with us, too. And he just, like – I'll never forget it. Like, whenever I think about getting in trouble for my dad, that's, like, the first thing that comes up. And he, like, didn't want me, like – I think he was mad either that I got the guy from behind and then didn't face him face to face. And we were only like eight, nine or 10 or something like that <laughs> years old. But I understood that kind of like burnt into my head. So even though like I still play with a chip on my shoulder, and I had my whole career. Um, it was more of a, it was a learning experience. And I think I just learned the right way to go about it. Um, but yeah, and I think the only other one was uh, when I broke a three hundred dollar 
stick over the bench. I, <laughs> I think I had a wooden stick for about six months after that until I, I bought myself a new one maybe. But, but yeah, no, he was, he was everything in, in hockey for me, uh, teaching the game and understanding the game and just, you know, the, the simple things like taking me to the rink and obviously supplied me with all the equipment. Um, when Steve Dixon was in Cape Breton, I'm not sure if my dad was with the team then or not. Uh, it might have been the previous years. So the team came to Cape Breton in 97. It was an AHL team before that. And then my dad was like a home coach. So like he couldn't go on the road and stuff like that. He was offered, um, but he just, you know, with the business, the family, I was young, you know, my brother, my sister, um, he said he could help them at home. So he was there in Cape Breton for a few different years. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he, um, you know, he'd bring me equipment. He'd, he'd get the latest uh, composite sticks, take me in the room to see, you know, I thought they were 30 or 40 year old men when I was young, you know, they're just junior <laughs> players. They're like 16 to 20 years old, but just seeing them from a young age, um, you know, kept my motivation going, kept my inspiration there. And just, yeah, it was just a, a great life of hockey when I was young, that's for sure. And would you have watched a young Stuart McRae play? Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Stuart McRae was awesome in junior. Yeah, he was the He was the boy, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. He, he was the man in Cape Breton. Um, he played on some good teams, too. He had some big point years. And he, like, just like he is today, like when you watch him play, you see uh, – you see, like, call it the eye test. I got that from uh, the Jordan uh, documentary on TV. But, the, like, when you look at him play, you see all his good skill. And just you look at him, and you're like, he, he played the game at a high level for sure. So he was like that when he was young. And, and uh, he was always older, though, so I never really met him. Um, my father and his father are really good buddies. And his mother taught me um, – in grade eight, I think. And his dad taught me in phys ed. So like, I definitely knew him and I was yeah. semi close, but uh, I never really like knew him personally. Um, only when I got older, um, I think uh, met, maybe met him through Cully and over the years, like the last decade, you know, anytime I bumped into him, he came to Cardiff for the mask and stuff. Like I, I know him to go hang and have a beer with him now. But when I was young, it was more of like a idolization. Yeah. There's some other big names that came out of that team, Joey. Did Marc-Andre Fleury playing great Cape Breton yeah. as well? Marc-Andre Fleury. So my dad was, was uh, with the team during that era. Um, he was 15 when he came to Cape Breton. And uh, my dad said all he did was just go every day and shoot on Fleury like, literally all practice even when drills were going on and stuff like that he wasn't getting a shot my dad would shoot him and Fleur was the kind of guy like you weren't scoring on him even if it was like you know the fifth chance wrap around no drill going on he's just going to be in the net trying to stop the puck um so yeah it was cool knowing like back then Fleury was just like a really young drafted goalie and a really young kid in town but then obviously he got a lot better than the world juniors and the first overall pick. And then he actually came back from the pros, but it wasn't his fault, but the team 
should have won the whole league and they got s- swept in the first round, I believe, to Shakutami. And I, I think that might have been the year that Dix, um, I think he got hurt. He had a hernia or something, so he missed like most of the year. Um, it was either, might have been after that, but, but yeah, it was cool. We had some big stars in mm-hmm. town for sure. And then your last year, no, it wasn't your last year. It was that, that first year, I think, in Cape Breton. You get signed by Pittsburgh? Yeah, so that's, like I said before, when it's pretty much when my career turned around. You know, I was, I was feeling like beat down and discouraged and just kind of contemplating myself as a hockey player when I was in PEI. Um, and then I came back to Cape Breton, you know, and I was like, wow, like my friends are on this team. I'm living at my house eating, you know, it's like life's back to normal right now. And uh, I'm playing for the team, you know, I grew up idolizing. So that was a huge boost to, you know, the, the soul say, you know, it got me back into, you know, being motivated to train hard, to work hard, to, to just love the game for the, just being a game and and forgetting about all the the rest of it and and uh, we had a pretty good team that year we definitely overachieved but I think that was just expectations why it made it seem like we overachieved I think we had a great team and I think uh, if I can remember we were in the top 10 in Canada for a while because we were just you know winning and we had 14 rookies in our team um, and uh yeah, it was an awesome year and, you know, I got my mojo back and, and played with some great players and, you know, point production and opportunity and stuff like that. Um, Pascal Vincent was the head coach. Um, he was who my dad worked with. He was in Cape Breton for a long time and I had known him, uh, met him through my dad as a young kid. Um, so I knew what he was all about and uh, he really helped me. You know, he's a professional coach. Um, you know, not, not so much, you know, you have like a, a younger age coach and a, and a professional coach, you know, would treat you like a, a grown adult and expects you to act like a grown adult. And I learned that that year. Um, and then he had, I think he's in Winnipeg now, assistant coach in Winnipeg Jets. Um, and then the assistant coach took over for my 20 year old year. Um, but that 19 year old year, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big, big change for me, and I kind of saw the saw the light, I guess you can say, and and uh, started to see my hockey career kind of going a different way. And it was between Pittsburgh and St. Louis to go to the the camps just as an invitee. Um, I wasn't drafted, and uh, I was with an agency, and I, we kind of looked at both sides and said, you know what do the numbers look like and where's the best chance to kind of make an impact. And it just happened to be Pittsburgh. And I went to Pittsburgh, had a really good rookie camp that year. Um, and uh, got invited to the main camp from rookie camp and then had a good showing, you know, it was, it was tough work playing with those guys. Uh, I mean, it's funny cause in the training camp like that, it doesn't even, it doesn't even seem like it's the skill part. It's, it's more of the conditioning part. Those guys are so fast and strong and just, they go forever. And I remember that being like, holy smokes. Like, yeah, I can shoot this puck and pass and stick handle stuff, but <laughs> these guys are going to skate laughs around me kind of thing. So that was a big eye opener and everything went well. It was fine. You know, I, I didn't embarrass myself or anything. Um, 
you know, we were there, we were scrimmaging before the official camp started. And, you know, we were, I was on the ice with Malkin and Crosby and Stahl was there at the time. And I think Gonchar was there at the time. And it was just like, it was almost surreal for me. Um, but uh, yeah, just to get in the, get in the NHL atmosphere and kind of experience it and get a taste and like, this is what it's like. And I mean, back then they were in the Mellon arena too. It was like the oldest rink in the league. It was super cool because that's where, you know, you'd see Mary Lemieux score all his goals and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was just like kind of like an old NHL rink, but it was wicked. And the personnel there was awesome. Everything went great. And I ended up going to the AHL team. Um, I think I was there maybe missed, maybe missed like the first five or 10 games of my, uh, my junior, junior team season. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was going to stay professional, maybe in the AHL or the ECHL. Um, and then I think uh, the, I talked to the coaches and scouts and they just said that, you know, you could stay here and it could go either way or you could go home and we know you're going to play. We know you're going to get say all your opportunities and you're just going to be able to, developed that much more in junior and I was happy with that you know I wasn't homesick but I wasn't you know I was kind of excited to go back home and, and play for Cape Breton again so I signed and then I went home and then that year that year went well too I mean it was it was all good and I think uh it was right maybe at the end of the year it started the year I think it was at the end of the year I tore my meniscus in my knee and then uh it kind of, I don't know, it was one of those maybe botched surgeries. It shouldn't even have really been a surgery. I think a, a scope is what it's called. You know, you, you open open your knee up and you just kind of scrape out the scar tissue. Um, and I think there was a little bit of negligence on the, on the doctor's side. And my patella tendon ended up getting cut in the process. Um, so that whole second year when I should have been going down to Pittsburgh and you know, being that much better. And, you know, I had such a great rookie camp the year before and then main camp and it, I was almost in the NHL. And then the next summer I didn't even go on the ice because my knee was too weak to kind of do anything. Um, and that just kind of, that kind of set my first year in pro, couple years in pro, like I was on the back foot, you know, like there was, that many more players kind of coming in in front of me and, and they were playing and getting the chances and stuff like that. And I was just like an injured guy rehabbing. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was all a great experience and, you know, it just shows you, you know, momentum, hard work and just sticking with, with things. And if, you know, you want something bad enough and, 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 you know, you see yourself doing it, things will come around and kind of work themselves out. Um, and that's how I felt, you know, leaving PEI, going to Cape Breton, and then ending up in Pittsburgh. It was kind of, uh, it was a crazy few years. What's the thing in your knee called? A meniscus? Yeah, it's like the cartilage. In your <laughs> oh, knee. okay, right. Yeah. Okay. So it, I think it was just like, you know, they happen, your knee jams and squishes and tears the meniscus okay. the cartilage in between. So, so who did your there. surgery? Like Nick R Riviera from The Simpsons? <laughs> 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 literally yeah <laughs> yeah it was pretty pretty unfortunate you know it's something i'm still a little bitter about but i mean nothing's going to change from that now and you know it's all in the past or 
talking 13 years ago now. <laughs> so uh, you, then, uh, sorry, Vrani, you carry on. No, I was going to say, you mentioned briefly your first year pro then sort of playing up and down between the, the coast and the HR. And am I right in saying that's the first year that you encountered Andrew Lord? Yeah. So um, let's see, I got to get this right. So after, say, uh, my 20-year-old year junior, and I kind of had a, a little knee hiccup and my summer was shit. Um, but come the fall, you know, knee was better. I was practicing, you know, all this stuff. Had a decent camp. Everything was going fine. Um, but if you remember, so when I was 20, that's when, that's when Pittsburgh won the Stanley Cup. That's when Crossy won his first cup. And in pro hockey, like you can kind of imagine like pro football, I guess, if you have a, a really good team or a team with a huge budget or anything like that, it attracts everybody to that team. So you have like a hundred or say, let's call it 50 players that have about 100, 200 NHL games in their career. You know, they're mostly AHLers, but they're really good players and they're older. Everybody wants to go to the Pittsburgh Penguins now because, you know, they're so good, Sidney Crosby, Malkin. They're thinking even if they can get, you know, 10, 20 games in the NHL on a good team, you know, it's great for them. Not to mention Pittsburgh was a top-class organization, and the AHL team was kind of like Cardiff in our league as far as mm-hmm. being compared to other AHL teams. Wilkes-Barre Scranton was a really good AHL team, had great facilities, travel was okay, and then the organization supported you well. So everybody wanted to go to, to Wilkes-Barre. So my next year, you know, I'm thinking like, all right, let's, you know, let's make, make a mark here. Let's, let's stick up in the AHL and, and earn a spot. And it was just so flooded. And the next thing you know, I was going down to uh, wheeling. I didn't know anything about wheeling. Uh, I just knew it was the East Coast, a level down kind of thing. Uh, I had a couple of buddies who I knew who were down there too. Um, and yeah, I, I moved in on, it was Washington Avenue in Wheeling, West Virginia. And Lordo was my roommate, or sorry, not my roommate, my uh, neighbor. So he was in the house next to me, but both houses were like frat houses. Both houses had four guys in them, I think, downstairs and upstairs. Yeah. So anyways, his, he was like, a, I want to say two or three year vet, maybe just two years. I can't remember because he played university. Um, but anyways, they were a little older in age than, than my house. And they had all went to university. And, and no, nobody in my house did. We were all junior guys. <laughs> so they had the kind of crazy house, you know, they're partying. They, you know, they would have girls over and stuff like that. And we were kind of just like the young guys, like being quiet, not bothering them. And, you know, maybe trying to find, find out some stuff at practice. Um, <laughs> and I think it was in the first, I don't know, month or two months. And uh, one of Lordo's roommates were acting up in practice. Um, I don't, Lordo wasn't the captain right away. Um, I think he was wearing an A and we had an old kind of veteran captain, but he was the nicest guy, maybe a little nerdy or something, but like he was fine. And Lordo's roommate was giving him a hard time about something at the end of practice. Next thing you know, Lordo is beating up his roommate. (laughs) It's like, 
I'm looking at my buddy. We're like shaking. It's, we're like 20 years old. <laughs> like never seen anything like this before. Laura was screaming and spitting and like, I don't know if he's bleeding or the other guy's bleeding and <laughs> yelling at everybody. So we all thought we were in trouble. Oh man, it was wild. <laughs> and then I think it was a few months later, our captain had left and then Laura became captain. And yeah, he was go hard, man. You think he's intense and stuff now when he was young and feisty and trying to, trying to move up in the ranks. He was, up, yeah. was crazy, yeah. <laughs> I, I still joke. I was joking with him. I think it was months ago. It was in the season, but uh, I was giving him a hard time. It, he, he doesn't believe me, but it was four on four in overtime. And he, he made a nice play and he shot the puck, but I tipped it in right there. It hit my stick and went right mm -hmm. in the net. I was just close to the net. And like, I, I kind of, we were all celebrating. We won the game in overtime. But he, he thought he scored, so he was celebrating. You know, I think he did like, but he did like a group all the crowd. I think he was like pointing to himself. <laughs> but I was so I was scared of him. I was like, I can't tell this guy like I took no that. I'll just I'll take the plus and we'll move on. <laughs> and then ten years later, I mean, we know each other pretty well. If I catch him in a good mood, I'll give him a hard time. Telling him he still owes me a, a goal. <laughs> That's great. So you've uh, spent two years um, with Wheeling um, and Wilkes-Barre going between the AHL and ECHL. A couple of other familiar faces turn up uh, in Wheeling as well. Did your paths cross with um, Paul Crowder at all? Yep. You went up and down? Yeah, I played with Paul and Wheeling and his brother, Tim. Was he eating um, meat then? Or? <laughs> Sorry? Was he eating meat or was he, you know, full he was. I think he was eating meat. He was doing all, eating butter and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, no, he was, he was the same old Paul. I don't know if you, if you guys remember him from the yeah. years he was here, but him and his brother are quite similar, you know, quiet, you know, reserved guys. But I was, uh, I spent some time with Paul back then. And then obviously when he came to Cardiff, I was his roommate. So we got along great. And him, his brother, and his, uh, his wife, Aaron, and the kids, they're great. And, you know, I consider him a good friend of mine. And, and uh, I'm glad we got to play again for, together for another year. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't help feeling that we didn't probably see the best of Paul Crowder. I mean, it just so happened that the lineup that we had at the time was pretty stacked at the top, and he was playing yeah. down the lineup where he, he's more of a top end guy, isn't he? And you saw that then when he went up to Fife. When he went up to Fife, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's always tough when you come to a new team, um, established team as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's a, the biggest point. Established, um, you know the. The coach knows what he has and he knows that he likes that and you know unless you come in and you're gonna you know maybe like a Charles Lingley a couple years ago you know scores and puts up tons of points and all that stuff and really takes over a spot um, it is tough to kind of break in on an established team I think you know I, I played with Paul a bit that year too um, I think I was injured a little bit of that year probably <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, he still had a great year. He, he still did okay. I think 
at in the off season, it was more of a choice of, you know, like you said, Fran, we had that established team and it was pretty stacked. So if you're trying to make that really good team better, you're looking for a little tiny changes. And it's not that Paul wasn't a good enough player. It was just like, oh, well, maybe we needed a little more physicality or something like that. And on an established team, it's tough to kind of decide where you're going to make those changes, right? So. Yeah. Your next move uh, is to Gwinnett for the Gladiators. How did, you, uh, how did you end up with the Gladiators? Yeah, so after my, my contract expired with uh, Pittsburgh and they weren't, um, they weren't going to qualify me, so I, then I became a free agent, um, and I, I think I went to Portland, Portland's camp that year, um, just as an invite, HL invite. Um, Dixon, I think, had just left, maybe, because um, he, yeah, he was bouncing around there for a bit. Um, so I went to Portland, decent camp, it went all right. Um, and then the decision on going to Gwinnett, it was between Gwinnett and Florida. So they're called the Florida Everglades, but they're right down by the Everglades. Um, so it was a really nice spot. They had like four golf courses like that the team can play. Um, obviously, if you've been to Florida, you just know what the atmosphere is like. So I knew that I would really enjoy that. And I was looking for something more. You know, by that time, I'd been up north. I'd been right in the busyness, you know, literally like three, four times a year, driving back and forth from Wheeling and Wilkes-Barre. And it was great. I learned a lot, had a lot of teammates. It was exciting, good experience. Um, and it, it did kind of sting a bit when I didn't, I didn't get qualified and stuff. I wasn't really, a, say, expecting it um, just because things didn't go as well as I'd hoped. But uh, when it became reality, I was, wasn't going back to Pittsburgh. Wheeling had offered me something. Um, my coach from Wheeling, my assistant coach, was taking the head coach job in Gwinnett. And then obviously Florida's Florida. So I was kind of thinking, you know, there was quite a bit of money coming from Wheeling. There was my coach who I knew going to Gwinnett which is still, you know, second best of Florida. It's right there. It's nice weather. Um, and I think the biggest thing that, that changed my mind was the travel that Florida has. So because they're so south, they end up leaving. They go on the road for about two weeks at a time, and then they come back and they're home for about two weeks at a time, try to make it easier on travel. And I really didn't like the idea of that. I thought it would get old pretty quick. Um, so I opted to go to Gwinnett, which was a better travel. My coach was there, so I was familiar, and he really wanted me to come. Um, I had played in their rink. I knew that their rink was huge. It was nice. It was new, good facilities, um, pretty good living around there. So I just decided to go to Gwinnett, and uh, it was a great spot. I mean, it reminded me a lot of the Devils in a way um, with the ownership and the, and the general management. Uh, just being more of that family kind of orientated uh, atmosphere. And a lot of the people in the office um, had worked there since the team had come. So for me, you know, coming from, you know, a small town, like really family orientated, really personal, I kind of fit right in there. 
Um, I had some success there. I had a few call-ups from there to the AHL. Um, and yeah, it was a good time. I had a really good time there. I was there for three years. Uh, and when I was 24, played my 24th season, 24 year old season, my fifth year in pro, um, Kirsten, my wife was with me for the first two years in Georgia and we had a great time. Um, you know, she had a lot of friends. She was just out of university. So she was kind of, you know, she wasn't worried about working or anything yet. She was just enjoying the, the weather and, and, you know, enjoying friends and stuff like that. Um, but then my third season, she actually got a, a really good job back home. So she ended up staying home and I went because that was my job. And we were, uh, we were engaged at the time and we spent that whole year apart besides Christmas. I think she came down for a few weeks on her vacation. Um, but after that year, I really didn't want to go back to America. It was more of that grind, you know, it was, I was just finished with, you know, 80 games and on the road, you know, 10, 14 hours a day and a night and sleeping on buses and all that stuff. Um, and not to mention my wife couldn't go work there because of the green card issue. Um, and then literally in the middle of, just as I'm talking to you guys, it's how like I'm talking to my dad and talking to my wife. And I was a player representative for the team, for the players union, for my team meetings were in Vegas that year. So <laughs> me, my wife and our friends went down to Vegas and uh, it was honestly like something out of entourage. It was funny because I was okay with the fact that I wasn't going to go back to uh, the East Coast League and I was getting a bunch of offers and guys saying, well, like, oh, you can go overseas like anytime, like come back and, you know, play here and make this money this year. And I was just like, I just don't know if I can do that. And I was kind of just looking around and it was, this was like day by day, week by week. And then I ended up being in Vegas and uh, Cully messaged me and he's like, Hey, uh, ex teammate of yours uh, just offered me. He said he knew La Costa and he just wanted to know what I was doing for hockey next year. And uh, I think, I think it's the same place uh, Pat McRae played. I was like, Oh really? Which teammate was he? He's like, Oh, I can't. I can't remember. He's on my Facebook, but uh, I'll, when I get home, I'll, I'll tell you. And he didn't even get to tell me because Laurel then messaged me on Facebook, told me that he was talking to my buddy, which was Chris, um, and then kind of told me, like, you know, he wanted me in Cardiff, and he knew the kind of player I was because we had played together. If you know Laurel and his detail and statistics and stuff <laughs> like that, he basically knew – you know, how long my hair was at the time. <laughs> uh, so, so I talked with my wife and I talked to my family and um, I talked to my agent at the time and uh, my agent actually found another deal in this league in Coventry. Um, and I think he found that before Lordo talked to me. And it was a decent deal, but part of it was to be uh, an assistant coach, which I, I was like, what? <laughs> and then my agent kind of explained to me how there were still some teams, you know, because of budget region reasons, they have like a player coach that kind of helps either run a power player or penalty kill or something. So I was like, geez, I'm like, I'm 24 or five. Like, I don't really have any interest in coaching or anything like that. Um, and then Lordo had messaged me. So I was like, okay, same league. And like, oh, okay, okay. And then I, th I don't really think I talked to Lordo like one time or two times. 
he didn't need to convince me. I just, che I checked with my buddy Cully. I talked to my wife and my parents and I knew that Pat played here. So I was like, sure, let's do it. You keep calling him Pat. Stu, you mean, Stu McCray. Oh my God, yeah, Stu. Pat's closer <laughs> to my age. Pat's his younger brother. Yeah. Was, yeah, I'm thinking about Pat because I was seeing him on Instagram. Yeah, Stuart, sorry. Um, but yeah, so every, everything kind of like, comforted the decision to go to Cardiff so I was like yeah let's do it whatever and it was okay with Kirsten even though she didn't know like if she was going to stay home or leave her job and come over with me and I said well like are you okay with staying home for another year and I mean we can work it out and you can get over and and stuff like that um, and we were scheduled to be married that so after the season that summer um, and uh, yeah she ended up not wanting to stay at home maybe she had a little FOMO and uh, <laughs> didn't want to miss out on the overseas adventure so <laughs> I didn't I just said it'd be nice if you come but I wasn't going to ask her to leave her job but she decided to leave uh, and came over and you know seven years goes by quick and now we're here talking about it all <laughs> in, in your I was in Vegas that weekend <laughs> yeah sorry so Vegas <laughs> so when I was in Vegas that's when it all kind of came right together and I remember being up in my suite and I was like looking out and it was like middle of the day all my friends were down at the pool party like drinking having a good time and I was upstairs on the phone I was talking with Lordo um, talking to my agent and then just finalized the deal as I was in Las Vegas and uh, I was at the Flamingo Hotel so it was pretty cool. I, I won't forget that moment. But uh, but yeah. Is he a good salesman, Joey? When when Lordo gets on the phone to you, apart from being scary, you know, is he is he a good salesman when he's talking to the new signings? Yeah, he can be whatever he needs to be. I think that's that's <laughs> his trick. Uh, he can be mean if he if he thinks that we'll get him what he wants, or he'll be you know soft and sincere if he thinks that's a, a better route. Um, but yeah, he's always honest, and and uh, he kind of. You know, he didn't, he didn't say anything that scared me. Everything was all, you know, we're going to be a mostly new team, some returning players in a, in a nice city and stuff like that. I think so he didn't he tell you about the rink then? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, he didn't say anything about the rink. Um, and then I had no idea about the history of the team, which okay. weren't really important to me. Um, I played in some bad rinks. I played in some great rinks, you know you make it your own and that's exactly what happened. But it's funny you mentioned the rink because me and Cully fly over, we get picked up at Heathrow on a bus with everybody else. Um, we were exhausted. So we fell asleep right away. We were like, hi, fell asleep. <laughs> I woke up when I was on the link road yeah, and I saw Morrison's. I was like, oh, that's funny. But I need these washrooms so bad. I couldn't even think. And I was, I was kind of embarrassed because everybody was kind of chit-chatting. And I was literally like sweating, worried about <laughs> yeah. literally peeing myself. Here, I didn't know the back in North America, you know, halfway down the bus aisle in the, in the bathroom. Yeah. 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 Didn't know that. We had a bathroom. Oh, okay. Didn't know it. I was just, I was sitting at the back and there was no bathroom back there. So I was like, geez, must not have a bathroom. So when we were pulling around the roundabout, coming down Olympian Drive, I saw the pool. I was like, oh, wow, like that's such a cool arena. That must be I it. I was like, the glass, all that stuff. <laughs> we pulled around the back 
like, oh, water, so cool. That's in a tent. And like back back home in Cape Breton, we have a, it's a, it's like a tent, but there's a, a soccer pitch or a football yeah. pitch in, inside. Yeah. So I thought it was something like that, you know, maybe like athletics sort of thing. Uh-huh. Anyways, we get out and our cars were there and we had some uh, sponsors that are the, uh, you know, the support, support yeah. club. And uh, I was like, oh, sorry, like I can't even talk. I was watching. They're like, why don't you go in the rink? And they pointed to the blue tent. So <laughs> then I run into the rink, and the first, like, I'm seeing everything for the first time. And I can't remember what game was going on, but they were crawling on the ice. Like, it was not like, it wasn't flattering at all. And then next thing I did with my surroundings, and then I finally find the bathroom. Yeah. Use the washroom, I come out, and I was like, wow. Like, I thought oh that God. was great, and this maybe was some sort of practice facility. Um, but it didn't, it wasn't like, it didn't like demoralize me or anything. It was just funny how it happened. Yeah. Um, and then we got in the car and I had to drive home, driving a manual, and I don't drive <laughs> <laughs> that. Was, that was another adventure in itself. Mm-hmm. Todd always says, Joey, that that first year, you know, it's been really special this whole time with the Devils, but that first year, that team coming together so quickly, so late, maybe the adversity that had come before and what have you, that that first year was, was really special. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, all the things you said there, the way we came together late, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of guys, uh, you know, who didn't know each other, but we, you know, we, we fit in pretty quickly. Um, and I think everybody was just, you know, I think from the older guys we had to the younger guys we had, I think everybody was just interested in like, we wanted to win and, you know, just do good and enjoy our, our year. We didn't want to just collect a paycheck and kind of, you know, like, is this team good or not? Or is this league good or not? We kind of just made it like, let's be as good as we can, you know, whatever in the league, whatever, but our rink. And I think we embraced the rink right away. And, you know, that was a pretty scary atmosphere when, you know, you had Dougie Clarkson and Andrew Lord for checking their corner and there was nowhere <laughs> to go. And you had the fans yeah. right on top of you yelling at you. Uh, it was awesome. So I think, the best thing about that year, it seemed like right away, everybody got on board with that whole idea. Kind of just how we're all talking about it right now. Everybody just got on board right away. And we understood we were underdogs. You know, I think Belfast was awesome that year and Sheffield were awesome. And we knew we weren't in, say, the top, like, three, maybe even four teams at that time. But we were eager to, to get there. We were, we were all great underdogs, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we end up making a great, great season run. And then that challenge cup was, was, you know, a super time. It was a hell of a time. I, up to that point, I hadn't lifted any trophies. I mean, maybe won some medals, you know, going back to, to youth hockey or something, but in my professional career, I hadn't, I hadn't lifted anything. You know, I had, you know, counted down the last few seconds before I were like, wow, we were winning. And it was in Sheffield that year. And me, like me and colleague, we talked about it a lot. Like the whole Challenge Cup idea was so new to us. We didn't yeah. really even understand like the actual like schedule of it. Yeah. And then next thing you know, it was, you know, we're getting into the quarterfinals and semifinals. And then I remember the week before the finals because I had a mullet. It's almost coming back because I had a haircut. <laughs> 
But we were in Ken Pickens' salon. Todd had us in there doing a uh, like the first meet and yeah. greet, taking pictures and stuff because he he wasn't a sponsor right out of the gates. So we were kind of meeting each other for the first time, and, and there's maybe like, like ten hairdressers and twenty five guys. So everybody like guys were taking turns, kind of thing, and everybody's hanging around. And Ken walks up and he points at me and he goes, "I got you." <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even really know like how big of a deal Ken was at the time so yes. I just like why is this guy pointing at me like why does he want me so then a couple guys started like you know making fun of me or like saying like we're just joshing around a little banter and then enough for Ken here and Ken came over and he's like if I leave like if I let you leave with that thing on your head like that's bad for business like, I, can't, <laughs> I can't let you leave here looking like that and so then I come back at him I'm like okay but like it's a week away from the the, the yeah. finals like I need my hair my helmet you know if I cut this all off it's not gonna feel right you know I don't want to do that so we came to a compromise and he left <laughs> it there but he tidied it up I guess okay and then uh, he made me promise that I'd come back before I went home that summer because he said it'll be the biggest regret of your life if you get married and your in your wedding pictures you have hair like that <laughs> I think that's when it really scared me I was like oh, okay so I saw him at the end of the year he cleaned me up and my wedding pictures turned out all right <laughs> Joey you're obviously like a really clean living guy how wild were those celebrations because Brent Walton we we I don't think he made it into the podcast guys did it but he he said about the fact that Todd had to pay for damages oh, to a yeah. hotel roommate <laughs> Wally, Wally was my roommate Okay. Go on, spill the beans, Joe. Spill the beans. I got the, I got the best of Wally. Uh, <laughs> maybe and the worst too, depending on which way you look at it. Um, but he was he was a great guy. We had a lot of fun. He was a super player. Uh, I played with him a bit that year, but I think like everybody, everybody kind of played with each other. I think we only had three lines. Um, but yeah, he was a hoot. He lived right behind me. I lived in uh, Overstone Court off uh, Dumbbells Drive. Yep. And he lived in Century Wharf, but he lived at the end of Century Wharf. I lived at the end of Overstone Court, so we were literally right next to each other. Um, and he had the kids. Actually, it might have just been Colby the first year. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. yeah. And then Zoe came second year. Um, and Lisa, yeah. So we were all really close. And uh, uh, Hendo and Hotham, Trevor Hendricks and Andrew Hotham lived right there too. So we had a good little community. We were always hanging out and Wally's one of those guys, you know, he's got to take the kid out. So kids up early, he's going to go find you. you know, whether <laughs> you're up or not. So it started, it turned into a theme there for a while um, where the night after, so say a Monday morning, yeah. we have uh, you know, we, we have a big Sunday game at the, BBT and we win and you know Todd's buying us beers in the bar and then guys are going out and, you know great night great night and you can picture how the Monday morning how you mm -hmm. feel and all you would hear is just <laughs> it's like you feel like you just got in into your house you're like what's going on like did I get home yet and it's Colby at the door and Wally's there telling him to go knock on the door so he just wants to get in because Wally more likely than not, he got to have a couple beers at the rink, but then he would take the family yeah. home, so he wouldn't. And if you know Wally, he's you know that hurts him, you know, he <laughs> doesn't, doesn't like missing out or anything like that. So uh, he would come wanting to hear the scoop, 
but he would yeah. wake you up at about eight or nine and then have a couple of your beers or <laughs> six and <laughs> and he'd want to get the scoop of last night but uh so my first year was tough because he was always he was coming to my place me and yeah. Cully lived together and Kirsten came and joined us and I think it was October end of October um, and then the second year was okay because me and Kirsten lived the, we moved to Henke Court on Schooner Way. Mm -hmm. um, but Culligan and Hervado, you remember Zach Hervado, <laughs> lived with uh, Wally at Celestia Place. And I guess it got even worse. <laughs> two kids in the mix. And, oh. <laughs> and then Wally, you know, it sucked, but he hurt his knee there and stuff. So he wasn't really like playing or anything like that. He was. <laughs> He needed the stories and he needed to have some beers. So I was just happy he wasn't coming to my door. At <laughs> yeah, and we'll, because um, we're still getting that uh, team one for the 14-15. So we'll, uh, we can go a load more into that that year then. Yeah, that'll be fun. I got yeah. another really good Wally story, but I'm wondering if I should tell it now or tell it then. <laughs> Probably tell it now because it's hard to get into individual ones, do you think? Yeah, it yeah. gets lost. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I think this is my best Wally story. I got a, <laughs> I got a glare on my face, don't I? Is that no, a bad shadow? Ah, you good. Sorry, yeah, we we got a whole Wally podcast edition where he told his stories from Germany. Yeah, and yeah, pretty special. I don't know if I. I would say he doesn't remember this one, except that, <laughs> I, I think I told him so many times that he has it embedded in his head now. Um, we're in Belfast. It's probably well yeah it must be late december early january because the world junior gold medal game was on and me and cully really wanted to watch it and it was after a game in belfast so we took a little bit of heat because everybody was going out you know when you're in belfast and you, you don't have game it's just travel day the next day um, but we had a really early morning and me and cully stayed home from the bar we watched the gold medal game and then I just went to bed. And next thing you know, I was awoken from my sleep by this like scratching noise. <laughs> so it was just like, and I remember opening my eyes and thinking like, what is that? And it like, the beds are so close together. And in Belfast, they didn't have curtains. They had like a sliding wooden yeah. door or something. I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was an old Clayton. <laughs> Um, so anyways, I kind of like just roll over it and I'm looking to see like what that noise is and it's, well, all I can see is Wally butt naked and he's standing like with it, he's bent over at the wall. So then I, I was like, oh, okay. He's trying to get his phone charger in, but we're talking like 30 seconds to a minute and he can't, he won't turn the light on cause he doesn't want to wake me up. He's a good roommate like that. But he's like hammering this thing and he can't get the prongs in the hole, you know, <laughs> three big prongs and it's just scratching. Finally, he, like I turn over, I'm just trying to like block out the noise and I'm like, okay, you probably got it. Next thing you know, the biggest bang, crash, like wham. <laughs> and it's pitch black in the room and that shutter that made all the noise kind of creaked open a little bit, just enough to let some light in. So I roll over and now my heart rate's going 100 miles an hour. I'm like, what just happened? Like, I can't see Wally anywhere. So I'm looking, I can't see Wally. I can see the light coming through. And now I'm really like, 
am I like dreaming here? Like, did I not just see Wally in this room? And then I see a hand come up onto the bed from the floor, another hand come up and Wally pulls himself off the floor. He still doesn't know I'm awake, right? Cause he's, he's in one. So as he climbs up on the bed, he just sits there for a second. He's just like, I can see him. He doesn't see me, but his eyes are closed. He's just kind of breathing, sitting there. And then he reaches down and he grabs something and he's lifting something up and it's the top of the table that he just fell through. <laughs> so I guess he was bent over so long trying to get his phone charger in that when he stood up, he got a huge head rush, <laughs> fell, fell through the table into that wooden shutter. So the shutter made so much noise. It was crazy. Anyways. Now he's lifting this thing. He still doesn't see me. He's trying to get the tabletop back on the screws. And, like, everything's ripped apart. I can see that from where I am. I'm like, it's not, not going to go back on. So then I finally pipe up, and I'm like, hey, Wally, you all right? And he turned around, and he's like, oh, Joe, I think I'm in one, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. Let's figure it out in the morning, though. We'll figure it out in the morning. He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. So we put, put everything down. We go to sleep and we have to get up at like six o'clock, maybe even five 30, maybe six because we went to breakfast. So we get up at six, we're down at breakfast. I'm, I'm roaring at him. I can't stop laughing. I had, when I woke <laughs> up, I took the table and I got it jammed on, but it was like really, really yeah. vulnerable. <laughs> so we were worried about it. Wally's like, God, like, should we tell them? Like, maybe that'll be better than them just sending a bill. Like, oh, and then he's like worried about Lisa getting mad at him because, you know, like, you were drinking, were you? So we're all like kind of, we're all worried a bit. And then I'm kind of worried because I'm like, if he doesn't say anything, Todd's probably just going to send us both the bill because it's from our room. So I'm like, geez, I'm like, Wally, why don't you just go up to the front desk and tell them that when we got to the room, the table was already broke. <laughs> so he's eating. He's like this. And he looks up at me. He's like, and his eyes are like everywhere. He's like, I don't think they'll believe me though. Will they, Joe? <laughs> oh, everybody started dying. It was so funny. But yeah, I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> but anyways, we got a break because nothing ever came of the table. We didn't get a call unless Todd just forgot to send us the bill but i don't know <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> i tell everybody even if they're not hockey players if they don't know wally or my team i still tell them that because i think it's it was just so funny the sequence of events oh it was great joe i know we've done a lot of um interviews and stuff so the guys know about your devil's career and the fan so i don't want to go through a season by season but for us fans, and obviously Franny was, was part of the organization, the first league title after 20 years, and then the first playoff title after pretty much 20 years again. Did you, did you feel the weight of that as a player? And, and, and what was it like when, when, when you guys won those trophies? Um, I don't, I think like coming out of the gates, our first season, like with that mindset of, you know, kind of like how you put it Franny about having a, an established team it almost felt like it was in some ways an established league as far as you know the Belfast the Sheffields even Coventry was really good my first year um, Nottingham was good 
and the more I heard about the league, the more I heard about all these teams, the same teams all the time. So then you start to realize like, okay, it's kind of, you know, it, it's established in a way and we're not at the top. We're just attacking the top. And we're trying to get there. And I think even right up until we won the league, we kind of felt that way. And I don't know if that was more me being an import, you know, from North America and not say growing up around the team and not knowing its history and maybe not feeling as much hurt from the history as other people did. Um, but we were just happy to go and be, you know, a great team that wasn't expected to say, do anything that first year. And then we did something. So the next year it's like, Oh, look for Cardiff to be better, but are they going to win the league? And like the next year it's like, Oh, look for them to be better, blah, blah, blah. So we were always just building as a team. And you know, that first year, it was the first year we lost in the league by quite a few points, right? No, was, I think it was, no, was I, it the first I, year? Or yeah, was that the second? Quick goal. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And, but we ended up the second year we lost by that 1.2, no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after that first year, it's like, wow, we got all the way to like one point and we beat them like in the Challenge Cup. So like we know we're there. So we start the next year with more confident stuff like that. And we were rolling big time, right? And then we went, uh, we had an Olympic break um, and we went to Brest for the Olympic break. And I, you know, I'm not going to blame it on Brest or like that it did anything negative. You know, we went and traveled and played exhibition games, but then our, our GB guys went and played like competitive. Um, so yeah, maybe we were a little like run down or a little annoyed. Um, and then right after that, that's when it's, you know, Sheffield kind of picked it up and we started losing points and then it ended up being another like heartbreak end of the year. Um, and then it was the third and fourth that we won. And then, yeah, the fifth and sixth, we got the playoffs. So the third and fourth, you know, it was almost like, we kind of felt like, Hey, we're going to do it this year. We were like climbing we're getting all, we're getting close. We're getting all the way. Um, and then the second year, we found out that, like, wow, even though you're kind of – you're there and you're going, your best team, things can happen, things can change. And I think a lot of the new players were still getting accustomed to having the league be the biggest thing mm -hmm. and then the Challenge Cup being played in the middle. Um, so by the third season, I think we had a wicked team, you know. Um, I think Marty and Hoff, they were, like, tearing the whole league up and – his the the support staff for those two we were all you know we had we were great players and and we we're well built and it was I don't I don't think I felt pressure you know like oh we're we're not going to do it for Cardiff or like you know in the city and the fans for the last like you know thirty years and it wasn't like oh we're going to lose by like one point again this year it was just another chance to like have a good solid season rack up as many points as you can so that, you know, the last few games you're, you're in the picture for the league. And I think we did that well as a group. And I think that set like our, our mindset and our emotional state. So it's not like we got to the end of the year and then all of a sudden got nervous. We were just working the whole year and we came into the final leg with just momentum and, you know, when you got momentum and you're feeling good and you're playing good and everything's great, then 
that's all there is, you know, it's when things are a little weird and then, okay, now we're trying to get the lead, but you know, we're kind of slipping, then you feel some pressure. It wasn't like that. It was all, it was all good stuff. So I guess to answer your question as an import, I was excited at the chance to bring a league title to Cardiff without being, you know, scared that I wouldn't, you know? And I think, I think, that goes to the coaching staff and, and the whole team as far as management staff and the office staff, but also the fans, you know, we knew everybody wanted it really bad, but they weren't like, you know, pointing fingers and being like, you better do it this year. You're not going to have a job or something <laughs> that like that. That was just me, so, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe they did. And maybe we just ignored those things, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, we felt supported, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And, and it, felt, it felt like we were all together in it. And that even though we were playing the games, um, as much as we liked winning and hated losing, we knew everybody else did too. And, yeah, I think that was the biggest thing. And, yeah, it was, uh, and it was Joe, do you, think, do, you think, do you think in terms of closing out and sort of finally getting over that line, um, bringing in guys like Benty and Ulmer and Asselin, guys that had won in uh, leagues where the league title is the big thing. Um, that was a big help in terms of, you know, getting so close. We, you know, you, you, like you said, the aim of the season, it's, it's a long grind over, whatever, 56 games, um, 54 games. Um, getting yourself into that position, but then actually going that one step further, having those guys that had done it and maybe just settle the ship a little bit you know in those uh, in those key end games big time um, and i'm glad you mentioned you know benty and ulmer because i think you know what everything i just described about just trying to work hard and do good but then feeling supported staying calm and, and pushing forward like you just said we had Ben Tavoyle and an ulmer who had won i think what was it like six years they've won yeah. almost in a row um and they knew it but then also you got to know how they were as guys and they were great you know like funny leaders you know calm and collected like you said and they were great hockey players who had a lot of like swagger to them I guess and yeah you know looking back now after you just mentioned it and after what I just said they were two big puzzle pieces that kind of brought that forward and maybe, you know, I was still somewhat of a younger guy um, and Lane was older and, and Benty was a little older, but so it was more, you know, you got to that, you got to look up again and like see how other guys were doing and how they were feeling before your own, for yourself. So yeah, it was, uh, I think that was a big moment when, when we got those guys come in. Yeah, there's definitely something about winning that's, that's a habit, that's a culture, isn't there? And uh, I, I, I massively think that those two guys help bring that you know that sort of know-how in terms of getting over the line which meant that the core group that we had together that were always so close and yes we'd won challenge cup and we'd won the conference the next year but you know in the big ones they maybe got away from us um i think it helped you guys learn what it takes to get over that line and you said it yourself they they're fun guys they're very calm guys, aren't they? In those big moments, yeah. there's, there's not panic. And you know, it's a high-pressure situation when you're, you know, when you're five games, ten games from, from a title. And I think those guys, just their personalities and being calm and 
you know, if you go a goal down, it's not a big deal. And they'll remind you that, you know, is, is a big thing. And when they can then help other guys experience that, then, you know, it sort of passes over to, to guys like you and Joey Martin to, uh, you know, you've got that winning experience now to pass it on to any new guys that come into the club. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was well said too. And I think that, uh, I think, you know, me and Marty talk about the game a lot. We spend a lot of time together. So I kind of get out of him, you know, how he feels about, you know, the last six years. And we talk about, you know, the wins and the losses and stuff like that. And then, you know, the last couple of years of playing, I felt like you just described, it was a, you know, you want to, you know that already you got to start the season, you know, with a bang. You got to go through the middle part and you got to go through the end part with momentum playing great hockey because it's the accumulation of all those points. Whereas, you know, maybe when I was younger, I never would have thought about why it was important to come out of the start of the season great because the playoffs and the championships are at the end of the year. So it was a little mix about the league, what it took to win here. Um, but then also the feelings you need throughout the season to stay motivated, <clears throat> staying positive, keeping every bit of momentum that you can get your hands on for all those reasons, just to bring the team into uh, a position to win. And yeah, well, like me and Lane, Benty, Benty and Joe, we're all really good buddies. And, you know, I learned a lot from Lane and, you know, I sat next to him on the bus and stuff. And, you know, he's a little bit of an older guy, but he, he doesn't always act older. You know, he kind of – and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean he was, he was good at, you know, still being like a younger teammate and having fun. Like, he's really good at having fun. He's so, so funny. One of the funniest guys I've met, even though he's, you know, he's dry and he's quiet and stuff like that. But I learned a lot from Lane. Uh, you know, it was uh, – it was weird playing against him last year for sure. Uh, you know, it was like playing against an older brother or something, you know, I didn't, you know, maybe if it was another guy, I would have whacked him a little harder, but you know, I'd take it easy on him. So talk to him after games and, you know, his wife and his kids, they're, they're all great. So it was, uh, it was, I was definitely happy to, to, you know, have met Lane and, you know, obviously Benty. Um, and I think, you know, after hearing what you just said, Neil, it kind of just comes to you, you know, you kind of see things in a little different perspective. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, for me personally, and I think for Marty as well, I think having the older guys come in and almost just calm us down, you know, and, and help us out. And then we learned how to do that. Like you said, Fran, now we, we can kind of pass that on. So now the tough question, there's that, Challenge Cup, which is obviously the first trophy with that great first-year team that we had, new era. First league title, first time in 20 years. First playoff title in 19 years. Three huge achievements for the club. Which one's your favourite? The first one, I mean, it's all, it, the original is always the best in a way, you know. Whether you're talking about sports or anything, you know, the first time, time is the first time. So that was the first time I Because that's your first trophy as well, right? Yeah. First trophy, first like high yeah. stakes, big time game that we won. You know, I've been in big games before, didn't really come out on the right side of them. Uh, played in front of huge crowds before and awesome arenas. Um, 
but that one, the way it all kind of came together. And I think the feeling of not supposed to win and then, but also like that feeling of support from your fans and your, your whole community and then going out and, you know, it was a tight game, 2-1, right? We won. Um, and I remember being on the ice at the end of the game. It was just like, I felt like when that buzzer went, I had more energy than I did like the last, <laughs> you know, three minutes of the game. Cause it was, it was a tough game. It was a grind, but I mean, it's tough because then when you finally win the league, it's like, okay, I've won, I won a trophy already. Yeah. But I hadn't won the league yet. And that was, you know, I, that was a big one too. Um, I, I don't know. I might have to pick, I might have to pick the uh, challenge cup because I'm a big fan of like, you win this game, you win the championship and you don't always get that with the league because you know, everybody's going to play out their schedules. Um, I don't know if it was our first or second year. Remember we had it clinched with about five or five or six games left in the year. Not sure which one that was, but it almost took away from winning it in a way, you know, like, we won it. It was so exciting. We're happy, but then, you know, we got to finish out this season. And it was kind of like, it wasn't completely pointless for us, but it, it was tough to go out and play those games, you know? Um, but it just kind of dampered the, the, uh, the winning the trophy. Whereas the playoffs and the challenge cup, you know, it's a championship game. Both teams made it here and whoever wins tonight is going to take the trophy. And I think I'm a big fan of that situation, especially growing up, you know, with the Stanley Cup finals and the way the NBA yeah. finals are, and even football, foot, uh, American football with the Super Bowl. You kind of just, that's how you think of it um, as a North American kid. But I do have a lot of appreciation, you know, how the premiership works and, and football throughout Europe in general. And I, I didn't know it was anything like that. I kind of just thought sports were played one way, I guess. It was kind of silly way to think, but I, I like it now. Like now I'm on board. I tell all the new guys every year, like this is how it is. Like you got to be ready. Like tonight it's a big game. You can count cup, you know, and this and that. So in a way you can kind of use it for extra motivation. If you need, you know, it's a tough Sunday game and you're up in Fife and it's minus 20 outside or whatever. You just, you know, you, you and inside it for yourself. <laughs> no, it's minus 40 inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm done, guys. I've interrogated Joey enough. So, unless you, uh, you've got any more, <laughs> no, then just when you're talking about, you know, those end games in the playoffs, um, I always like uh, winning a, a trophy when there's a, a bit of a backstory to it. Challenge Cup, like you said, it was the first year of the new era. It was in Sheffield's rink. We weren't meant to win and we won it. Um, the very last trophy that, that we lifted was, you know, the, uh, the playoff uh, against Belfast. And that must have felt great considering, you know, we, we should have won that league and we didn't. Um, and that disappointment. Um, but I think that's what makes great teams even greater is when they feed off that disappointment and use it and channel it and come back stronger. And that's what, uh, that's what you guys did in that playoff finals weekend and in, in that game against Belfast. Yeah, that was, that, that was like a super game as well. Um, and I think the biggest one about that was it would have gave Belfast 
all three. Yeah. And was it two years prior to that? Two years prior to that, where we won off two yeah. after conference, mm -hmm. and then we got to the finals. What was a double OT? Yeah. Against Sheffield. Yeah, against Sheffield. Yeah. Double OT. Yeah. So it was, you know, we were all we were right there. Last shot of the year, we lose, and to be in the position where Belfast could have won and did that before we got to do that. Yeah, it almost felt like if that if that had happened, that was then gonna kickstart them as their new era because yeah. the key year had started. They won a Challenge Cup, I think, and then they got these two trophies already. Yeah, um, and yeah. It was. I think that was such an important win. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, you you can call it say cocky or conceited or arrogant or whatever. But you know, the players on the Devils, we whether you, we believe it, you know, individually or not, our mantra is like, you know, we are the team in the league. Everybody's gonna come play their best because they want to beat Carter. Yeah. So you got to be ready for that. You know, we're the ones who win the trophies and. All the other teams are trying to take our trophies and this and that. Um, but like you said, Fran, if Belfast would have won that game, they they had the rights to take over the talk of the league, yeah. you know? And sport does go in like, cycles, doesn't it? Just like we did it against Sheffield, you know? When I came in the league, they were dominant. They had all the big players who were established. They were older. You know, yeah, we won that Challenge Cup, but they won the league twice in a row. Um and then next thing you know, we win two big leagues. And now the talk is about Cardiff, you know. And, you know, Marty was the best player in the league, and he was killing it. And then Hoff is the best defenseman in the league, and he's killing it. Bouncy's the best goalie. And, you know, Laurel wins coach of the year. We get a new rink built. and We take pride in all of that because, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to be the best team in the league. And we want to win everything, and we want, you know, you know, they have that killer mentality where we're doing something, let's do it the best. And we don't want somebody else to do what we're doing better than us. And that Belfast game, that was kind of like, you know, it was a saving grace in a way. We had a great year. We fell like, what was it? A tiebreaker short. Mm -hmm. It was a tiebreaker. And uh, to get the chance to just like salvage it. And then, you know, we come back strong the next year. Um, it was that was a big win, and it was in dramatic fashion. Uh, you know, Gleason's goal there was was super, especially against a goalie like like uh, what's his name is. Like, he, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was uh, he was something else. So yeah, and then uh, obviously we get into this year, wanting to kind of <laughs> go after it all again, and. That's what I, I had a question. I was going to give it to you guys. Uh, maybe a little controversial, but I wanted to get opinions. Oh, I like this. Yeah, here we the go. Way our year ended. I need. I need some opinions. I need some thoughts here. Oh, right I know there. what this question is. <laughs> I don't know if I don't have a perfect question written out. I think I just want to start this conversation. <laughs> so, so what you're, what you're wanting to know is, do we think that? That the devil should have been awarded the league title, right? Yeah, in a, <laughs> I want, I want your, I don't want your, your devil's fan or you know from Cardiff opinion. I want the a fan of the elite league, a fan of hockey, a fan of just competitive sports, and what okay. we should have did this year. 
I don't, I don't mind going first on this one. All right. um, I, I do think whichever way, whichever side you're on, you're always going to argue it the other way, aren't you? So there's all the other fan bases around the league saying, nope, Cardiff shouldn't because it wasn't a completed season. And, you know, people bringing up that we lost uh, a lead last year. Um, but I think what frustrated me the most about it was to make that decision not to award the championship as early as they did. No sooner was the league done, there was a week or so had gone by and then they made the decision not to award the league championship where I think what I would have wanted them to do is just to sit tight and say, right, the season has no more games. We are going to see what do other sports do and what other leagues do. I mean, let's face it, this whole crazy situation is new to everybody on this planet. You know, there's yeah. nothing been seen like this, you know, for the last, what, you know, 80-odd years. Um, so it, it's, a, you know, it's such a different situation. that I just, The one thing that I wish is they didn't make that, in my opinion, a snap judgment on saying we're not awarding the, the league title. And you see it now that a lot of leagues have been shut down for the last eight, nine weeks. Um, and they're starting to award the league championship. They're starting to, to go out and say um, that the team finished on top on the points per game basis, which would have been us. They're awarding it. Um, you, you know, we are, I'm so glad we won that Friday night game in Sheffield because it did finish us on top because I think it would have been tougher to argue had we been in second place, but with three games in hand, yeah. you know, with the possibility of going five points up. But I think we were one point ahead with three games in hand. So a potential seven points. On a points per game basis, I think we had a 10% better record over the season. So a 10% better record over 54 whatever games we played is a hell of a difference. Oh, yeah. We're 10% better than any team in our league, the next best team in our league, and better, again, than the ones below them. Um, so on that basis, you know, that would be my argument for awarding us the league championship. And I know I could get be accused of bias, but <laughs> I, I'd like to think that I can also give a rational argument and a, a logical one. And, you know, if I think the question that I would ask myself is if Sheffield or if Belfast or if one of, you know, one of our rivals, Nottingham, whoever, Coventry were on a great tear. If they, if they were in our position, and they were one point ahead with three games in hand with a 10% better record over the season, would I have been offended? Would I have been upset if they got awarded the league ahead of no champion? I, I don't think I would. I think I would have said, you know what? Over the games that were better than everybody else in the league, and, you know, nobody saw this coming. We couldn't finish the season. If, you know, they're the guys on top, and they, and they deserve it. And we were the ones with the games in hand as well. Yeah. Everybody was like, they were talking about hypotheticals, you know, like how we yeah. lost last year, but yeah. we, we had the games in hand and it's just statistically, like you said, about rationale, it would be the anomaly if another team had come back to beat us yeah. because of the statistics. Yeah. We, we would have had to finish the season. I think 50, 500 hockey with another team winning out. And over the season, we were, what, 0.71? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And that is, you know, with other teams being 0.61. Yeah. 
or whatever it was. Yeah. So some team would have to win out and we would have had to go 500 hockey. Yeah. Um, John, before I let you go, I just want to say before I forget what Franny said, um, I think it's you hit the nail on the head there with making your decision out of rational you know, statistics. You were in our position. Would you not expect me to honor you know, your winnings, your winnings this year, your winning percentage, anything. And I think that's what just doesn't sit well with me. But anyways, John, why don't you go ahead and give us your skill? Uh, oh, this is going to be popular. And Todd's going to love this question. I think it's, I think it's, um, it, it's difficult for me as a, as a fan, Joey, because I'm not the guy who's, you know, laced yeah. them up in 50, 55 games, 60 games and been through the, the bumps and bruises and put it all on the line for, you know, seven, eight months. So I can completely see where you're coming from. I'm, I'm not a rational guy, far from it. Uh, I'm not a statistics guy. You know, uh, my politics and philosophy degree will, will test the fact I don't do uh, realism very well. Um, no, I think it's a very British mentality for me and a very football-based mentality. I don't think we should have been awarded it as a fan. And I, again, I say that respectfully that I didn't go through the wars that, that you did. I, I think being brought up with the league title in whatever sport being the, the most valuable, you, you got to win it properly and you win it when you win it for me. And I just, and I, I know you guys will come back with very, very rational counter arguments. I just wonder now with this new NHL playoff format that they're talking about, you know, I've always seen, let's say Montreal win the playoffs now. Will there always be a, an asterisk next to their name because they, they shouldn't have been in that format or, or, or whatever team? So I think the league title is the equivalent of the Stanley Cup in this country in hockey and having been brought up with, with football and the league title being everything. You win it when you win it and it's devastating for you guys that you didn't get to win it. I think you would have won it. Um, but I think you would win it every year. But I, I think you would have won it. But no, uh, for me as a fan, and again, I caveat with that, I didn't put my blood, sweat, and tears on the line. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't think it should have been awarded. And Steve King and Todd will kill me for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one one, Gaz. It's up to you. Um, I'm, uh, I'm very much of the opinion that we should have been awarded it for. Two reasons. Number one, in football, I think, is 60 minutes the cutoff where they let a result stand in a game? If, say, weather, uh, you know, if it snows badly or, or whatever, I think 60 minutes is the cutoff. So you can play 65 minutes and still be awarded the win if that game is abandoned. So this precedent in sport for cutting mm -hmm. things short and still... Uh, getting your, your, your just uh, rewards. But I think that the biggest inconsistency for me was allowing all the statistics to stand. So what you're saying is that this competition happened, yeah. but that it, it didn't happen Fair because comment. there's no winner. So you're kind of in this sort of, like, you can't be half pregnant, I guess. <laughs> You've got you to go through it fully and say, if you're saying that these statistics happened then the games happened, so at the end of all these games happening, who was at the top um, and whichever yes. way you slice it Absolutely. and there's no, and I think the, the other caveat is there's no other metric you can measure against to give it to another team. Every metric that you would test to say who won out at this stage of all the games being played 
would have been the devil. So the, there's no yeah. gray area for saying, well, what if we use this metric? Well, we use this metric of points, right. you know, points per game. That's the devils. Well, all right, we use the metric of points. Well, that's the devils. There's still no argument there that you can, you can throw any doubt on it. The only doubt is the unknown of if the rest of the games were played out. Um, yeah. you know, so, so another question there. On the back of this, you know, unprecedented times, uh, the one thing that was absent from making that a clear-cut decision was a league rule, that what happens if the season gets abandoned for any reason. Yep. I would imagine that they will put in a rule to prevent this ever happening again. And what do you think that rule is going to be, John? The Joey Haddad rule. <laughs> <laughs> What's the rule, going to be fair? Well, I would say the rule they'll put in is whoever is ahead on points per game will yeah. be the league champions. Realistically, like other leagues already have, like you, you could. I understand what you're saying, John. I get that. I respect all that. If there was a rule saying, yeah, you don't win it until you win it, and you can't win it until everything's been played. So if that was a rule in our league, yeah, I wouldn't say another word. No, not not not. not. But as the, so the lack I, of clarity is the issue, really. Well, clarity, but I think where I'm most disappointed is that this, like, I understand that Sheffield's not going to love Cardiff, Fife, Dundee, wherever. I get it. Just like in the, in the National Leagues, you have rivalries too. But what the National Leagues understand is it's the league. So you want to make the league look as best as you can. So part of that sometimes is swallowing your pride as – you know, a, a feud, feuding owners or GMs or coaches or players or whatever. You can't let that get in the way of, like, so I think because our owners couldn't come to an agreement on how we should make that decision, there's a vote. And, you know, I think obviously it didn't go our way. But if you look at all the other leagues kind of figuring it out, you know, working and talking it over, some giving out the uh, the league titles to the team who was leading or uh, win percentage or whatever. And then our league just, like, shuts it down. And we're talking, like, we had we had eight games left, but most teams had five. It was, like, two weeks. And, Joey, I wouldn't argue against your statistics, but I'm the romantic here. and I'm a, the, the beauty <laughs> of sport is the unpredictability. I predict the Devils would have won the league. But right. the beauty of sport we always talk about is the unpredictability. And that kind of happened to us the season before. And I don't know. I was just thinking about it the other day. If, if you were, let's say this had kicked off halfway through the Stanley Cup final. And I don't know, it was Boston and St. Louis like last year. And St. Louis were three games to nil, nil up in the series. But they couldn't play the final game. You couldn't clinch it. Would, <laughs> would, would you award the Stanley Cup? No, but you can't, you can't say the playoffs, though. Okay, well, I, I, but, I, but that's, that's my British mentality. I, I equate the league with the... Right, but... Playoffs. No, that's just your mentality. Don't bring British into it. Sorry, that's just my mentality. Yeah. <laughs> the playoffs are so different in North America because you've got to win four games. You're playing a max of seven. And not only can anything happen in those series, but it's almost like the second part of the year. So if it was our playoffs and, you know, we won our semis and then the other semis didn't even get to play, like 
I wouldn't say we should win the playoffs because we didn't play the playoff game to win it yet. But if you're talking about the league title being awarded to the player, to the team who played the best over the course of 56 games, say. Yeah, but there, there, there is clarity there, Joe, wouldn't there? Because like you say, with the Stanley Cup, the clarity is you got to win four games to win a series. Now, again, I say we should have – I think we would have won the league, and I completely respect what you, you come – there is clarity that you win the league championship because you can't be caught. When the season finished, I don't think we would have been, but we could have been caught. That, that, okay. That's my argument. Yeah, so I, I, I guess I'm not going to sit here and say there's no – way we could have lost the league last year. Like, I'm not saying that. I just mean we played – like, what's the percentage of the season we played? And oh, then yeah, absolutely. It's not like it stopped because an owner strike or a player strike or something, like, petty like that. We're talking about a pandemic, a yes. worldwide pandemic. So nobody had a choice in the matter. It was literally humanity making the rules. So because everybody was – stone cold like that i think the first decision should have been just to wait like not say anything league's done we'll update you when we have a better idea or whatever yeah i think to award a league winner you know it's it's almost like you know you look at the nhl 94 there's a lockout they came back they played 40 games the new york rangers won the stanley cup mark messe the famous saw the lines i'm gonna score a hat trick we'll win tonight but, like, you just you appreciate the year for the winner. And nobody talks about that lockout very much unless it's, like, brought up and, like, when was the last lockout? Yeah. So, for the British Elite League, all the fans, all the players, and all the teams who put all their effort in to making the season what it was. I get that. Have the little end cut off short and then no winner for this whole year. It's going to go down as – Basically, like, what happened? It's going to be like a two-year se- two, two season. That's what it's going to be like. We're but, Joey, come- I'd come back in there and say, that's why I agree with your initial point, that your view as a player, having, you know, it's your job of work and you do it and you've gone through that, your view should carry more weight than my view. I'm, I'm a guy who sits in the stands and I don't train every day and it's not my job. As a fan and as a fan with a small-minded football-style mentality, I would have found I, – I think we would have been league champions with a but after us. And I – because I love the club so much, I never want that but yeah. after it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I guess at the end of the day, the, uh, the owners, it's their money, it's their investment, yeah. and they make the rules. And if they all agree that that's how they're doing things, then, you know, I'm happy to be in the league and playing for the Cardiff Devils. And it's, it just it's, – it sucks, but – I guess you respect decisions when they're made. You're not yeah, going to talk I, to me next I time think... I see you getting a coffee now, Joe, are you? <laughs> You're not going to talk to me next time I see you on a coffee run. <laughs> oh, all right. I like hearing the other side. <laughs> I think, I think a, it's a good point that you make, John. That, you know, I, I've made it very clear that you know, over 85% of the season, we had a 10% better record than everyone else. I, I would like to think that had I had a vote in that, and it wasn't the Cardiff Devils in first place by a point with three games in hand, I would have voted that team as, as the champion. I, I would like to think that that would be my position. But even if the league had awarded it, I think the yeah. fans on other fan bases would have always thrown that huge butt. You know, you didn't finish the season, you yeah. didn't win it the year before. And it, it frustrates me a little bit, that yeah. argument, because... 
we were the ones that, you know, people talk about the lead that we blew. Team Belfast had a lot of games in hand on that. So it wasn't a, a legit lead that, you know, that, that we yeah. just, you know, we basically had to win, like you said, four out of the next eight games um, to win a championship. So a 500 hockey on a team that's been playing, you know, at 71%. Um, but like the point you made, I think that the fans from other teams would have said, yeah, you, you're champions by name, but you didn't actually cross the line. So I think whichever way that they'd have done it, somebody somewhere would have had something to say about it. Um, the one thing that I am confident of is when you look back at every success that the Devils have had, it's always been fueled by some adversity. Yeah. And, you know, whether it was the first year of the new ownership and we win the Challenge Cup, then we lose out, you know, narrowly on the, the two titles and then we come in, at, you know, and win the league and... You know, just we were talking earlier about that playoff win where, you know, we should have won the league the, the year before, but then we managed to make that sort of, we used it, the adversity to fire us up. We win the playoffs and we, we're the ones celebrating at the end of the year. Um, that's why I think we would have won the next four games straight. I think that Challenge Cup loss on that Sunday would have fueled us up to win the next four games straight. Yeah. And I think uh, I, I can just tell when, when I heard Joey speak, and both Joeys, Joey Myers and Joey Haddad, when you hear Todd, when you hear Lordo speak, the frustration that we haven't been awarded league champions, I just think makes us even more dangerous for next year. I like that. Good way to, <laughs> that's a good way to end that that's argument. A good way to end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, uh, yeah, I totally agree, John. I think that brings this conversation uh, to a, a satisfying uh, close here tonight. But what an excellent conversation it has been. Uh, Joey, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your uh, evening to come and join us and uh, share some of your memories and stories and uh, stoke some controversy as well at the end, why not? <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I look forward to uh, getting a chance to do it again and I'll have, uh, I'll have some more questions for John too. <laughs> nice that you're asking me questions. Yeah, <laughs> this is fun. Now I know why you do it, John. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yours were better. <laughs> and we will try and get you back on, uh, Joey, with the rest of the guys from uh, yeah, 14 15 for a, a bit of a Challenge Cup uh, reunion. And uh, yeah, Wally can tell his side of the table story <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I look forward to that. Hopefully, we can make that happen. I'll have to start uh, chasing up some of the guys, make sure they're on board. We'll get, we'll get you on that. Track down Carl Hudson from the, from the deepest, darkest uh, I think, woods I think in Canada. I going to have to like, fly there and yeah. hike in, <laughs> deliver the message. If not, I don't think he's going to get it. <laughs> Smoke signals. Thank you very much for listening uh, or watching this uh, very, very good episode of uh, Behind the Bench with Neil Francis on uh, behalf of uh, Joey Adad, John Donovan, and Mr. Neil Francis. I've been Gareth Hewish, and uh, here's some brass bonanza for you. <laughs>